Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me for another beer with Darren. It's Friday night, and today I am joined by John. Um, and John is a pricing expert. Now, what that means, we will find out. But the reason I was really keen to chat to John is we first saw him at an AppScar event, um, and it was a really insightful talk. And actually, as part of what we've been doing as a business during lockdown is to review our pricing. And really, I think everybody should be doing the same. So first of all, John, nice to see you. What are you drinking? Good to see you, Darren. I've got a red ale. Can you see that? Red ale from Broccoli Brewery. How very uh, modern of you, red ale. Well, one of the highlights, early highlights of lockdown was finding out that the head brewer lives on our street. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so they sat on one of those uh, WhatsApp groups for the street and this guy was like, uh, I've got a lot of beer and no one's drink it. So we were like, yep. So uh, I got a good stash of this downstairs. Well, uh, unfortunately, yeah. I've, got, um, I've got a Bud Light, which is nowhere near the calibre of your Ooh. beer. Yeah. And Mr. Bud does not live on my street. No. <laughs> but it was what was left on the shelves in the supermarket. You can't be picking yeah. these. Yeah, yeah. Do you mind um, giving everyone a little bit of your background? Um, obviously, I know you and you connect with you on LinkedIn. It's a really, really good background. But if, for the people listening and watching on YouTube, would you mind just going into a little bit of uh, detail? Of course. So I've um, been in recruitment for 15 years now. Majority of that was with Reed Recruitment. So, um, yeah, the big brand. Um, so joined them on their graduate scheme. Uh, my second job there was working directly for Sir Alec Reed, so the founder of Reed. So that was pretty eye-opening. Um, I don't know, like the equivalent of winning The Apprentice or something. That was um, that was pretty amazing. Um, so I did loads of different stuff there. The, the opportunities you get there are amazing. So um, I set up charities for them because family business, they're very charitable. Um, set up an exec search service for them. That was pretty interesting. Reed isn't known for being exec search. That was, that was a good challenge to make. Um, uh, then started creating other products off the back of that based on what we'd learned. So other recruitment services mainly. Um, and then worked with some pricing specialists who taught me almost everything I know about pricing. And my eyes just lit up. I, it was so commercial. It was so innovative. And it was the difference that needs to be made in recruitment. So I was like, cool, this is amazing. You make these changes everyone makes more money like this is brilliant so um yeah last year i was like right what are my life plans i didn't have covid on my life plans but i imagine none of us did yeah um so i was like hang on this is like the impact pricing can make is huge um so i set up on my own as a pricing consultant um yeah that's where we are today and when you set up into your own as a pricing consultant, was pricing the hardest part? Mm. I was going to stick a LinkedIn up on that. It's always hard. Like, it's hard for me. So uh, I'm not swanning around being like, oh, it's, it's easy for me. You just need to learn a few things. It's always difficult. It's always nerve-wracking. Um, so it's uh, it's nice to help other people. But, yeah, it's, um, it's scary to set up your own pricing, I think. Am I massively under, especially if you're setting up something new yeah, um, or going into a market that you're new into? And there's a lot of psychology. I talk a lot about psychology, but so there's a lot of psychology. You don't want to overprice yourself. So most people underprice themselves or undersell themselves. Um, yeah. And even though I follow all the, all the steps, 
I'm still pretty nervous when it comes to pricing. I'm still asking a lot of people. And so I'm putting together a new product at the moment. Um, and I'm asking a lot of people, right, what about this price? Test out these price points. Like, what if I had different services in here? So um, due to the situation, it's not like the full testing I'd do if I was in a big corporate, but I'm still trying to make sure I'm testing and learning and uh, yeah, trying to get it right. But there's a lot, it's a science and an art, as they say. But what was the, the key takeaway there for me is that even as a pricing expert, you still had problems pricing your own product because when we when we launched Pager, well, it was formerly Content App at the time, I reckon we, we spoke about pricing every day for every week for about six months, I want to say. Um, it was one of those where there is no right or wrong. Um, and I still don't believe we got it right to this day. But before we before we jump into that side of things, so we can just go back a little bit to what you were doing at Reed. What was what would what in terms of pricing? What did you change at Reed, and what was the impact? So what we did was learn from what other industries were doing, what worked in other industries. And it's worth saying there are loads of other industries and companies in other industries who are doing a poor and pricing. Like, don't worry, it's it's not easy, and it's not like everyone else is doing it well. But there are people who are doing it well. And you can learn from them. Um, there's also academic stuff that you know, experiments have been run both uh, you know, in the field, actual in business situations and in universities. And you can use that and learn from that um, and apply that to what you do. So we did that. And I think we were the first people to do that, certainly at that scale in recruitment. There's a lot to it. But the biggest thing was moved from one service just saying I can recruit for that role to creating three services and giving our clients a choice of how they wanted to work with us and giving clients that choice just opens up a whole range of opportunities. Um, it starts becoming a conversation because you say, right, do you want to work this way, this way or this way? You need to design it well, but you give them that choice. Actually, they're not recruitment experts. They say, well, Tell me more about how that works. Here's my problem. Let me tell you more about my problem in more detail. Which one would work for me? And suddenly that, that conversation's gone from being right, I can do recruitment. I'll just assume everyone knows what recruitment is. It's 25%. And they're like, no, it isn't. <laughs> and yeah. you're in a pretty poor negotiation. You're having this, instead of that, you're having this value conversation, I call it, of saying, well, actually, what's the best service for me? Well, what are you looking for right now? <laughs> the client's like, good point. I haven't thought about it. So let's have a chat about it. Um, <clears throat> another, stop me when I... <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I think wrong, but, um, one of the other things I love is uh, this phrase that it moves your client from being in a will I mindset, will I work with this recruiter? They've said they can do recruitment. I think I should go out and look at some other options. If you give them three options, you've created this little mini ecosystem to choose from, but they're still choosing you. So what they're saying there is, which service will I choose from John? Right, so which thinking... recruiter should I use? Which one? Because people want a choice. That's um, and this was why I'm fascinating with your your apps go talk. So unfortunately, I didn't attend personally, but Rohit did attend 
weekend. Um, and yeah. he came back to the office. Uh, the only way I can describe him was like you shoved a rocket up him. He was so <laughs> he was so enthused, and he was like, "Look, we've got to revisit the pricing. We've got to have these conversations." Um, and you know, you were absolutely right, and it's what we have done. It was all off the back of your talk. So the bit that I found fascinating was the psychology bit, and you mentioned it earlier. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that and why, given I think it was three choices that he was so fascinated about. Um, if you could delve into that a little bit more, I'd, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, like I said, it's a huge amount to it. So I'll, I'll just try and pick a few interesting bits for now. Um, one of the things this is proven, if, if you give people three options and you build it in the right way, people default to the middle option. If you're not 100% sure what you're going to do, you think, well, I better not spend um, all that money, but I probably shouldn't go for the cheapest because I want this done properly. So I'll go for the middle. So again, you can design your three options to be pretty uh, profitable for you. Um, and when you think about it, you see that in everything from wine lists, um, some of the high street restaurants, which I hope are kind of still going in a few months' time. They even call them good, better, best options of wine. Yeah. So you see that. Um, you get it. And these are all quite kind of uh, quite basic or blunt versions of it. Um, but travel insurance, again, <laughs> that comes back as well. I hope we're buying travel insurance again soon. Um, you've got your gold, silver, bronze, except they start calling them platinum and other precious metals. But um, So you give them three options. Um, and again, if you're not 100% sure, I don't exactly know what all, all those options mean on the travel insurance. But for the most part, I don't want to spend all my money all my holiday money on travel insurance, but I don't want to get screwed over. You know, I'm old enough and I've got a family that I don't want to get stuck at an airport with no hotel kind of thing. So uh, I'll protect myself a bit more than minimum. Um, so it brings in stuff like that. So you default to the middle. So that's a nice thing. Um, another one I love is, I call it the million dollar option. So your top option should be almost not money can't buy, <laughs> the best money can buy, because obviously you want them to pay for it. That gives you the chance to showcase everything that you do, because it's your top option. And I think a lot of people, yeah, I've sold a lot of things and designed a lot of services to be sold. If you've only got one chance, you have to design an average service to appeal to as many people as possible. And it comes across as an average service. And yeah, recruiters especially, you get knocked back quite a lot and you probably start taking stuff off the average service thinking, I don't, I don't want to come across as too expensive compared to anyone else. When you've got three options, you've always got that chance to talk about how good you could be, but you're not demanding that they pay that much. You say, right, if you paid me 30%, I could, I could change the world for you. I could be in your office every day. I could you know, roll out the red carpet. And, and would you, when you say 30%, how often do you think that actually you should be having a, an option where it's retained, where it's exclusive rather than um, contingency? Do you build that into your the idea of your pricing plans where we can do this, but actually if you retain us, you can get X? Is that Because I see the market moving more towards that. Yeah, and there's a lot of chat about that. I think some of the discussions are picking up on slightly the wrong thing. If you kind of take that apart slightly, 
contingent just means you're not going to pay me. <laughs> and, yeah, there's only a 20% chance you're going to pay me and it's, it's on success. So all the risk is on my side. So yeah. That's pretty crap for us. It's also, that doesn't happen in many industries. So um, I'd love to help people move away from that. Um, and there are ways to do that. However, we make such a big deal of retained and we often go out to clients and say, oh, this is our retained service. We break that down. What retained means is just pay me something up front. Like that, that shouldn't be the name of our product. <laughs> our, our best option is pay me first. Is that all? Yeah, I, I get what you mean. It's And it's it, we're actually guilty of it because we also refer to people in marketing as hiring managers. And there's nobody sitting in a business going, right, I'm a hiring manager. <laughs> and I see all day long on LinkedIn, are you a hiring manager? I, I, I was a hiring manager. And if I saw a post on LinkedIn saying, are you a hiring manager? I'll be honest, I would have thought, no, I'm not. I'm a, yeah. I'm a CTO that's looking for devs. Um, you know, you need, to, you need to change the language towards them. And I guess that's an interesting point because I wonder how many people are sending out pitch decks with the word retained in it. And, and you know, because that's what the internal wording is rather than the external. Yeah, yeah. And like I say, the advantage we had at Reed is we learned from other industries. So we had a chance to step out of the, um, the recruitment industry jargon and think bigger picture, which helps. And it's, it's hard to do. And you know, um, it's a super competitive market in the UK. I, I talk to other countries as well, and uh, they're a bit more relaxed because it's less competitive. Um, but yeah, it, it's important to learn from other industries and yeah, learn what can be done better. Um, not just thinking what's the best that's happening in recruitment right now. It's what can what can we go even better than that? Um, yeah. the one, um, one other thing I'd say is um, just on kind of this three options, because I, th I think it's a marketing audience for the most part, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so... Most of your audience will know about segmentation and things like that, personas. Giving people three options in a pitch meeting, you know, when you're meeting your client, the client almost self-segments. So they start telling you, they give you a lot of signals because you've given put three options in front of them. They'll say, okay, well, I'm veering towards paying you, paying more for the top option. So they're telling you something that you can never do. You can try and you should try and segment your audiences and understand different personas or whatever you want to, however you approach it. But actually, on at the coalface, you give them three options and clients will be saying, look, I'm just so driven by cost on this. Great. <laughs> Our clients don't tell us, well, everyone says that, but you don't believe them. Yeah. But if you give them choice and they say, Look, I, I, I want to, I want more, but cost is my number one driver. Or they say, this is a really challenging role. I want to pay you more for you to do more stuff. They're putting themselves in those buckets for you, which is brilliant. It, it is. And it's, it's an interesting one because we've gone through literally because of yourself. And I just want to stress this, how if anybody is listening or of you in this and you're thinking about pricing absolutely chat to john because he's sparked a whole conversation internally in my company and the reason we're doing it and we we spoke about the whole freemium model and actually if we're coming away from recruitment actually but you can think of premium as almost as your contingency right it's use the product for free if you like it hopefully upgrade on it. Um, yeah. and you know, we're, we're steering clear of the freemium model because actually 
there are so many people out there that offer a free social media scheduler. You know, if you want that, you can go to Buffer, you can go to Hootsuite, you can, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. Um, and to differentiate ourselves, we want to make sure that people know we're a premium option. You know, we are only paid, but we, we still do have a, a small business package, if that makes sense. Um, and I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I did a lot of research into this as well. And some people talk about having a dummy package. Have you, have you heard that bit before where you have something that's just there that people don't want, so they actually straight away move to the one you do want? Um, yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of people have heard about that. Um, it's not the way I approach it. The reason being, I'll just quickly jump in on that, is yeah. if you're giving, you want to create as much choice as possible. So having a dummy package is kind of a false choice. You're actually only offering, let's say you've got three options, but one of them's deliberately crap or deliberately ridiculously expensive. You've narrowed it down to two options. Yeah. That, that power of choice is narrowed because you've only got two options. So actually it, it takes some work, but if you create those three options and they're all valid, then you're really putting the pressure on the client. Um, to think hard and think, well, what do I want here? I want to get the most out of this. What is my budget? Because most people can push their budget, right? Like at least the budget they say to a supplier is not the budget they're capable of paying. Um, so the danger of dummy is you actually lose some of the impact of, of three options. Yeah, and when we've gone for we we haven't got a dummy package, we've gone for three really clear options based on our personas. So we've got um the small business owner at £49 per month. Um, and then we've got sort of business where we're, we're saying to people, are you a business? Do you consider yourself not to be a small business anymore? Then that's the middle package, which as you rightly say, is the one that we expect most people to go for. Um, but then we've got the business plus, which is, you know, are you a slightly bigger business and, and do you want more users? So as is very much user-based. If you don't have user-based pricing, so it doesn't matter about your scale of the business, what are other differentiators you can use? So in recruitment, you mean? In, in recruitment, yeah, let's, let's stick to recruitment. But um, I was thinking one of the things we talked about was things like account management and um, different levels of support and, and stuff like that. So I don't know if that's the same sort of thing in recruitment as well. Yeah, um, I think to get a big picture to start with, um, you, what you want is you need to understand what value you're creating. Um, so if you think to the... Um, insurance those three insurance options because it's not a face-to-face -face, you know, b2b sales you've got a really nice especially recruitment you've got a really nice chance to pitch and adapt in the moment with your client um, so you can learn a lot about the clients um, but um, and, and that's not so that's not so easy to do if it's just an online purchase like a, a travel insurance but what you can see is they, li they list a load of stuff, different options, cancellation, or you lose your baggage or whatever, all of those different things. How much do people, do the customers value those things? So it's really important to understand that first. And that's some of the work I do with people. Um, and obviously I've got experience of that in recruitment. Um, but yeah, it's um, there's a really challenging piece of work you can do, which I recommend people do, it's, it's good because it's hard, is try and put a pound sign on the value you create for your clients. 
And I say that to most people and they're like, that's impossible. <laughs> exactly what was going through my mind because um, I guess I guess we've tried to do it because what we what we do is deliver a lot of traffic back to your website and that goes with convert. So what we're we're doing is comparing it to your pay per click budget, for example. What would you naturally put into your pay per click budget to get the same amount of traffic and, and leads? Um, so we can almost quantify it, um, and you know typically we're ten times cheaper, which makes me think that you're going to say you need to put your prices up. Um, possibly, I mean I haven't done the work with you, but yeah. Um, and if depending on how much business you want, I mean, you want you want, might want to be attractively cheaper, but ten times does sound uh, like you're being generous to people. Um, of course, you're talking to your audience here, so yeah. Prices uh, <laughs> increases are coming, everyone. <laughs> um, I think. Yeah, it is difficult. But like you say, when you talk that through, you're like, oh, it is possible. I can think of a comparable. And of course, that's what your client's thinking about. Your client's not obsessing about the service you provide. It's what's in their head. So they're thinking, I use pay-per-click. Okay, you're vaguely in that ballpark. How do you, ma how do you match up? Yeah, um, and you, you get comparisons that you don't want, I suppose. And... And in recruitment, I think that will probably be things like I could do referral hiring, I could go out and find them myself, I could spend time on job boards, sourcing, etc. How yeah. do you, I guess one of the big questions is we've seen a real push over the last, I want to say 10 years, but probably slightly less, that people are hiring more and more in-house recruiters. How do, your, how do your agencies go up against that? How do you think that, where do you think they'll be in five years' time? Um based on you know assuming we're going in, going into recession uh, and on based on my experience i think in-house recruiters will shrink massively again um i think it just seems like a cost um to, to the finance director and the ceo so um i think there's in my view i think it's probably an opportunity for recruitment to say like you can outsource this um the risk is if we all stay contingent then it's a, that's too attractive. People are like, great, I don't need to pay an in-house recruiter and I only sometimes need to pay uh, an outsource recruiter. Um, so yeah, I think there's an opportunity there for us to say, actually, in-house probably will shrink. Um, probably just the coordination around that and the management around that within our, our clients, they're not going to be focusing on how can we uh, kind of maximize every penny from this because they don't want to pay a procurement team to do that and like um, forensically check what everyone's spending they say hang on just every department get on with it yourself you, you haven't got procurement you haven't got highly you haven't got an internal recruitment team I, th I think you're right that there is an opportunity to come out of this because we're seeing already that people are looking at their cost base, right? And if you can, so, so harsh to say it, but if you can reduce your expenditure and move it into less of a risk or outsourcing. Um, and is that something that you can help people with right now? If people are looking and saying, you know, there's an opportunity here, I want to, I want to map out what my retain model is, but we're not going to set it as retain model. Is that something you're helping with right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, again, it all comes from this big picture stuff of how you communicate the services you've got. Having those three services builds that conversation 
Um, and then what you want to do in terms of, uh, so you're, you're talking to your clients, you, you understand what value you're creating for them. So we need to do that, which we just talked about. You then communicate that value. So you talk to them in their language about what they're interested in. And you, you know that. And ideally, you know how much, how many pounds that is worth to them, yeah, at least via proxies. And then you capture that value in the right way. But because you're having those conversations, it's a much more, um, the balance of power is much more equal. It's not recruiters begging to get a job on, uh, saying, right, it's 25% on my rate card and ending up at 15% or 12% and giving no reason as to why it's suddenly halved in price. <laughs> because it's two days before the end of the month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you need to get away from that. Um, so once you've got that and you understand that, you know that, yeah, there are some clients who aren't going to pay much more than 15%, but there are others who will pay 25%. And again, if they're, as I say, self-segmenting, then you'll know what they're going to do. That leads into, you talk about the kind of retained or some of the fee upfront model. You get a feel for that. Now, as a recruitment owner or whoever's implementing this pricing change, what you need to do is create a framework, a really simple framework, so that each of your consultants can make that call in the moment. So if they're in front of a client and a client saying that, I want to work closely with you, I'm open to exclusivity if I get this top service, what can you do for me on price? If you set nice, simple, understandable rules, then your consultant you can trust them to say, cool, let's do a deal here. Um, I think one of the mistakes that a lot of sales managers in recruitment make at the moment are they give consultants the autonomy to make a deal, but they don't set limits on it. They just completely um, leave it up to the consultant. Yeah, I, I completely I get that, um, and it's it's one of those things that, if we're being honest, every business has has a flexibility in in pricing, right? And whether that's we we always prefer that we don't discount we trade. Um, so if anyone's listening and they want a deal on pager, um, you know, often that looks like um, case studies. You know, what can we do? Are you in a sector that we don't have any clients in yet? Right. Well, actually, uh, being the first client in that sector and having a case study with you is, is valuable to us. Again, putting pound signs on things, you need to do it vice versa and say, what will pay off for me? So, yeah, uh, my big thing is don't discount trade. Um, and I think that's, that's a valuable lesson for anybody in sales. Um, how can marketing help get pricing right? You mentioned personas a few times. Is that when you come into a business, would you work with marketing on that? Yeah, um, depends on the size of the business. But, yeah, if they've got a marketing team, we definitely get them involved in the project. Um, I... So I was head of marketing for a bit, read along with everything else I did. So uh, I, I've got an angle on this. But from a pricing point of view, pricing is a really emergent um, discipline. And it's not really owned by anyone. It's often owned by the finance department. But they, they don't get the segmentation. They don't get the personas. They don't get the psychology. It's, it's not their job. It's not their skill set. Um, yeah, you're literally understanding the market. Marketing. Um, yeah. So I think there's an opportunity for marketeers out there 
to actually learn a bit more about pricing, take control of it, and then own it through the business. Um, and what's exciting, I used to, when I was head of marketing at Reed, I say, we want to do commercial marketing. We want to be supporting the business in making money. And pricing is yeah, probably the biggest way, biggest change you can make to do that. And um, yeah, small improvement in fee leads to a huge improvement in profit. So it looks fantastic for the owners and everyone's benefiting because the consultants are doing well as well. Um, so no one's really owning that. Um, it feels a bit like procurement was kind of 10, 15 years ago, it's just an emerging field. And um, now that kind of sits on its own. But um, yeah, I think marketeers, price is one of the four Ps. And I think a lot of people forget that. Um, so it's it's within your discipline, if you're a marketer. Um, there's an opportunity to pick it up, learn a bit about it and say, hang on, you can make a massive difference as a business. And that's an exciting thing for a marketer to do. You know, it's not creating a nice presentation or building the brand, all of which is important. But if you can add to that, oh, also I can make our fees go up. You've suddenly got a different dynamic with the owner, right? <laughs> the, the biggest, the biggest thing we talk about is marketing being the current in department, right? And how actually we should be having attributed revenue, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. One thing I don't think we talk about enough is that actually, if we, if I think about the biggest frustration of of marketers that I've worked with, and obviously this is tech companies, this isn't recruitment, um, but it's the between sales and tech, so sales will go to product management, product management will scope a product, will go to project management, tech will deliver the product, and then it will arrive at marketing and they say, they get told to sell it. Could you market this product? And marketing like, well, hang on a second. I didn't have any involvement in the development of it, the scoping, what it looks like, what it actually does, um, does it solve a purpose for our personas, and also the price of it. But now you want me to find budget for it and take it to market and ultimately be held responsible for its failure. It's... Um, yeah. I had that so many times down the years and uh, I won't mention the company I used to work at, but everyone can see it on LinkedIn. Um, so any of the marketing managers, directors over that period, I've, I know your pain now. Um, at the time, I didn't understand. I used to say, what are you talking about? The product's great. Um, yeah, so I guess it comes down to that as well. So inside recruitment, marketers have obviously got a budget to spend and they need to give a ROI on that. But if they can't have any dictation of the price, it's very hard to set the budget, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I completely feel the pain of marketers. And uh, you've had some really interesting people on the podcast. And uh, I think it's some pretty, uh, there's some good thinking out there. Um, but yeah, yeah, just a bit of advice for everyone. Pricing as a discipline is almost floating between departments at the moment. Um, there's absolutely an opportunity for marketing to say, right, if we grab pricing, and we say, actually, when we say pricing, we mean the services we offer. We are best placed to think about how we design those services. Because you think of a recruitment company, most people are sales. Yeah. They're not going to take time out to be like, hmm, what's the best way I to, to cut up my services, to design my services? I'm going to go away and do that. They're not going to take a month off billing, are they? Um, so marketing's in a position to say, right, let's have a think about our audience or our markets. Let's think about the personas that we have or we're developing. Let's think about how we segment. 
and then let's build some services out of that and then let's put some prices on them. Um, one thing I should say is by offering three options, it's not that you have to put your prices up. It's that you completely change the conversation and that leads to higher prices. Like I say, it's all about choice. Your clients are choosing to pay more because you're giving them interesting things. I completely understand that. And I think one of the biggest pushbacks that people will probably be thinking right now is huh. I speak to a lot of people that don't feel like they've got the seats at the table. Um, and if they were to go off and look at the personas, come up with these products, potentially even have a conversation with yourself and, you know, and then pitch that upwards to the CEO. How, how do you have any advice? And bearing in mind, you, you work closely with Alec Reed and you were, did a lot of things at Reed. Do you have any advice for selling upwards um, as a marketer? Um, yeah, it's important to get in, um, I don't know, seat at the table is a difficult one. It's important. And, you know, marketing magazine, when I was doing marketing, used to bang on about it all the time. Marketing director has to be at the table. They're the most important person. You then read HR magazine. The HR director is the most important person. Then you <laughs> so uh, I, I think give up on that. I think it's proving yourself, right? And yeah, I know I'm talking, I'm biased on this, but if you take something interesting that's commercially valuable to one of the top people in the company, maybe have a chat with, it depends on who's important, but grab the finance director, have a little word in their ear, then have a chat to the managing director or the CEO, get some case studies. Again, I can share a few things if, if that helps. And kind of seed it, but as people often say, you don't want to look like you own the idea. You want other people to come up with the idea based on what you've told them. And then you place yourself as the person who's going to um, deliver it. Because the CEO doesn't want to deliver the whole thing. They need someone uh, to run it. So whenever I go into a yeah, mid-sized firm or bigger, I will be talking to the owner or the CEO or the MD but there will then be a usually a director who's yeah, running the project. You know, the MD is not personally responsible for making every decision and designing and working with me, um, but they're engaged. So that's almost your chance as a marketer to say, look, here's an idea. It will make us more money. Our fees will go up and I'm happy to take that on. I'm happy to you know, work with John or learn to do it myself or whatever um i'll deliver it for you and once you've delivered it you probably will get a seat at the table if you've added you know 100 grand to your income then uh yeah you're probably going to be a popular person popular across the business as well and i think i think actually every salesperson um because let's be honest if you add revenue you've also added to their com package you've added quite a lot so yeah. um and one of the things we're doing right now is talking about the relationship between sales and marketing and how it's not always, it's not always the strongest. If we're being honest, um, sales typically say the marketing don't deliver quality leads, and marketing say sales don't follow up on leads. It's yeah, a real frustration for a lot of people out there. And I, I think actually by visiting the pricing conversation and being involved from the start and getting everybody's input and getting them bought in onto this project, 
I think actually that whole thing goes away because you can get everyone in the business aligned around one point, which is, is our price the right thing? Is the price right? I guess it's on that show, isn't it? Um, but I think that's a really good conversation starter as a, as a marketer to actually bring every person in the business together. And then actually, if you're leading it with the personas, to almost solve that problem um, and get talking to everyone about a problem they care about rather than should we put this on Facebook today? Um, yeah. Which is what I'm about. Yeah, and well, you've solved that one uh, or you've solved the LinkedIn version of that. Um, <laughs> the, um, yeah, if you've got a, another challenge as a marketer, which is you're seen as the colouring in department and then you know, people say you don't even colour in well. I've had a few people <laughs> say that to me. And you, you kind of roll your eyes and I don't want to be the colouring in department. I want to do more progressive stuff. I want to do more interesting stuff. I want to do more commercial stuff. Yeah, picking up a project like this, and there are, I'm sure there are other things you can do that are similar, that are commercially valuable and work across the business. But picking one of those changes the conversations you're having. Yeah, you're going to a salesperson saying, hey, I'm a, I found a way to help you make more money. They're going to be like... Cool. Just, <laughs> I have no complaints about the brochure. <laughs> it's brochure. And they were working on the brochures. So they, they're very, very experienced marketing director. Um, got to got to a new business, and I won't name names, but the first thing he had to do was produce a brochure. Um, and yeah, I could I could just feel, sense a little bit of him dying inside um, because he's you know you want to be working on strategic stuff. You want to be really affecting revenue in the business. Um, and yeah, I, I guess a brochure does do that, but you could absolutely put that out um, to outsource. I think. It's, yeah, I wonder uh, if I wonder if a few people in businesses aren't non-marketers aren't kind of relying on their perception of marketing. They're like, well, what can we get the new marketing person to do? What does marketing do? Oh, it's a brochure. Great, that's that's what's on the job spec. Let's do a brochure in digital. Yeah. Um, whereas actually, if you go can go in and say fine, um, brochures are easy, I can do that, but I can make you more money instead. <laughs> Which one do you want me to work on first? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I absolutely love it. I think really it just shows that if you ask the right questions and you're commercially minded, you can you can change, affect change in the business. Um, and I would absolutely love someone to come to me and say, I've got this idea, I want to try it out. This is what I think can happen. I would absolutely love that as a, as a business owner. Um, I don't yeah. think I have um, I think I think a lot of the time... You feel like you're giving people direction and they, they, you know, you say jump, they say how high. And actually you'd much rather than go, rather than jump, we could run and we could end up at this place. And, and you're actually wrong on this occasion because there's no chance I'm right. Sometimes I wake up in the morning, I've had these epiphanies overnight. And the next day I realise they're complete and utter bollocks. It's just, it's just one of those things. So uh, one, one thing I do want to chat to you about um, on the recruitment front, actually, is you mentioned free packages and obviously people need to work with you. I don't want you to give away all your trade secrets, but how at a high level how do you differentiate a recruitment process because it is in essence a percentage for finding someone a job so how would you very high very high level how would you split that out into three packages yeah um so quick thing on that like the history of recruitment pricing that's been around for a long time that's a good thing if we were on fixed fees every consultant would have to go to their clients every year and say oh i'm raising my prices Right, so yeah. we didn't have to do that. So that is, that's a great thing. So don't get rid of the percentage. Don't throw the baby out of the bathwater. That means you never have to ask for a price rise. You just wait till salaries come up. So that's a beautiful thing. Keep that. Um, 
what you um, what you need to think about is the different type of customers and what they think recruitment is. So you'll immediately understand this. You go to a client and they might say, well, all you're doing is sending me CVs. So in them, I mean, they're still invited you in, but in their mindset, they're seeing you. That That's a kind of service. So you think, well, what is that package? How do they see that package? Really, I'm their administrator. I'm getting CVs across to them. Um, I'm saving them some time. And if I can put some screening in there, then that's that's kind of what they want or expect. So that's one example of a package. You then look at, I don't mean executive search, but the kind of headhunting that a mid-tier recruiter would do, where you're going out and you're picking uh, candidates out, you know, passive candidates, you're taking them from competitors. Those are worlds apart. So when you talk about three options, actually that comes, I would say, relatively easily. You say, if recruitment is recruitment, then you're just throwing a lot of things in a single box. Actually break down what does recruitment mean to different people? What did people need from their recruitment? Um, I would say, I think it's safe enough to say on this, sometimes recruitment consultants are brought in to just cover the hiring manager's ass. They're never going to hire. They're just like, look, I need to, we've seen this. You, you, they're just benchmarking against someone internal that they're definitely going to take on. Yeah. Not saying you've done that, Darren, in your uh, previous uh, I'll role. Be honest, I'll be honest. I, if we, if I think back, did I do that? I didn't do that. But what, what I, I know that I did and other devs absolutely do is they go for interviews just to see whether they can still get, you know, can I get offered this salary and use it as a, as a bargaining chip with my current company that absolutely happens every single day so i think it's quite similar that you know because in, in recruitment you're on both sides of the coin so you've got the candidates and you've got your clients did i do it as a candidate absolutely sorry recruiters i did you know benchmark my salary on the market and and go for interviews to prove i could still get another job um you know i was at broadwind for 10 years so it was times in that 10 years when i thought i don't actually want another job but i need to make sure that i still can <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That's, and that is a, and that is another problem with you know, the current recruitment model. Um, but yes, um, apologies to anyone I did that to. I now understand the market. Really sorry. <laughs> Love you all. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think okay. So actually, it's quite interesting that it's it's easy to come up with three packages. But most people I speak to have that that first way you spoke about where, if we're being honest, it's literally just acting as a conduit between themselves and the job board. I don't think that there are many recruitment agencies that still operate in that way um at least the clients that we work with uh, they've all moved to more like a, a headhunting model but on a contingency basis they're not mapping the market so to speak but they are they are finding those passive candidates um so if everybody was to do i think the biggest question is everybody was to do the free packages how do they continue to differentiate do you, do you, you know I, it's, it's one of those things where I know you can't say too much because obviously this is why people work with you. Um, and we actually, you know what? I'm going to leave it there because I've got so many questions for you. That I think what the key takeaways are, you need to look at your pricing right now. If you're looking at your marketing, now is a great time to do it. If you're a marketer, get involved in your pricing. You need to be looking at free packages because it's proven. Um, and if you need help with that, John is your man. And as soon as I press stop record, I'm going to pick his brain some more. So if you want to find out what I'm trying to find out, get in touch with John. 
John, thank you. Are you creating a premium podcast that people have to pay to hear the rest of this conversation? <laughs> they have to pay you, not me. Um, but I don't think it's fair because the questions I've got right now are literally about your services. So I really, really appreciate your time having a beer with me. Unfortunately, I'm on the bud. But um, yeah, have you got anything you want to add before we carry on chatting and I'll press stop record? No, it's great. I love what you're doing. I think it's great to get the message out. I think there's only a few, but there's a few great companies. You're one of them supporting the industry and the community. So thank you for doing what you're doing. You're an absolute legend. Right, I'm going to press stop. If you want to find out more, chat to John. Cheers, Darren. <laughs>